Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. So, a little about our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. Check out their site at www.ericsson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. I have a new co-host today. Hello, Komal Balakrishnan. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good. Can you introduce yourself to the Energy Workforce for Tomorrow listeners? Yeah, happy to. So hi, everybody. My name is Komal Balakrishnan, and I am one of the leaders in the Salesforce IBM industrial practice. And I've been in the oil and gas industry, oh, this is going to age me, for about 15 to 20 years now, second generation oil and gas through and through. So I've grown up in this industry and really excited to be on this podcast today. Well, I learned some today. I knew you were ex-Shell, but you're actually ex-Slumbergy as well, aren't you? Or SLB, we should say now, SLB. Yeah. So I, I was part of the original company, Smith and MI Spaco, the drilling fluids company that was a joint venture. And then they got bought over and became SLB. So yeah, 10 years at Schlumberger and five years at Shell and now at IBM. Fantastic. And Como, energy workforce for tomorrow, what does that mean to you? So for me, what it really means is kind of looking to the next generation, right? What does the industry need to succeed, to recruit, to compete with the likes of tech and other industries that are now saying, hey, you don't necessarily need to live in Silicon Valley. You don't necessarily need to live on the coast. You can live anywhere you want. So I can have a successful, thriving career in any industry living in Houston. And so how do the Shells and Chevrons and BPs of the world now attract that talent? And how do they make sure that they leverage technologies and platforms to transform and get ready for that next generation of the workforce? So that's why you're on this podcast. That's why I'm on here. (laughs) So who have you brought today? Because I thought one Jason was enough for you, Kamal, but you're going to bring another Jason today, I think. I know, I know. I'm going to have to go talk to some of our other co-hosts So how (laughs) how this happened. So I've got two Jasons, my only two Jasons I know in the world. So I've got Jason Olbickson here with us from Salesforce. So Jason, over to you to introduce yourself. Hey, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. So Jason Olbickson. I've been at Salesforce about eight years, been in the industry my entire career, and my role here is I'm an industry go-to-market director for oil and gas practice, so really globally driving our strategy across the oil and gas value chain. And obviously, the workforce is a hot topic with everyone we talk to, so excited to mix it up a little and then kind of get some insights and talk about what's going on with the workforce of the future and energy. Excellent. Jason, based in Houston, you said? Yeah. Based in Houston, Texas. And I'll date myself a little, Kamal. I actually started my career with Unical, which is a company that's not even around anymore. So that tells you how I am. <laughs> First job out of college, but been in and around this industry my entire career and love it. I'm sure we could all name some companies that people are like, what are those companies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how do you guys know each other, Koval and Jason? How do you? So because I help support Salesforce from an IBM perspective, and that's how we work together quite closely. So John and Gil and I and the rest of the Salesforce team at IBM, we partner with Salesforce quite strongly, and we're one of the biggest partners of Salesforce in the ecosystem. And so we can help with customers who have decided to purchase the platform and build their kind of digital transformation around that. IBM can come in and really help them use all of our knowledge, industry knowledge, and help get the most from the Salesforce platform. Cool. And Jason, my understanding of the team, so we've put a big concentrated effort, I'm sure everyone else is as well, and as we go on, why would the oil and gas companies want to use Salesforce and elements like that? Just literally going back to basics, if the listeners really don't understand what you've got, and then how do the oil and gas companies then make best use of this? Yeah, and then that's a great question. I think we're often probably misunderstood and miscategorized in oil and gas because of our CRM background. And if you even look at our stock ticker, it's CRM. So anyone that doesn't know CRM customer relationship management, and that's how kind of we were born. And I think people that know us in that space will probably generally acknowledge that we are the market leader. We're the best at helping companies engage with their customers. We talk a lot about that 360 view, helping build relationships with the customers. And the customer is the entity that drives value in a lot of businesses. I think in oil and gas, it's the entity that drives value for a downstream retailer, you know, selling lubes or fuels or even oil field service and equipment company, it's not the entity that drives value in a lot of parts of the business, you know, upstream, midstream, et cetera. But what does drive value in those businesses are partner relationships, employee relationships, even asset relationships. So when I talk to a lot of our customers, I say, let's kind of challenge what we mean by the word C for customer. And let's replace that with employee relationship management, supplier relationship management, stakeholder relationship management. And you'll see those digital capabilities are equally valuable, especially in the context of this discussion, helping companies engage and better work, empower their employees. Yeah, definitely. Also, and I think even if you look at some of those, you know, other businesses that are maybe aligned, I remember when I was at Shell, there was a conversation that I had had with some of our sales teams who said that they walked into a customer's office and there was another Shell team selling another product line to that same customer, <laughs> right? And so that's where tech platforms and technologies like Shell Salesforce come in to help make sure that you have a unified view of that customer across all of your business lines and product lines and that you are aware. I think clearly important as the oil and gas businesses start doing this energy transition or transformation using digital and then do the energy transformation. I mean, surely something like Salesforce, and again, I'm probably quite new to Salesforce if I'm being brutally honest. I've never been there, et cetera, but I've seen it. But it must be a product that the oil and gas companies will have to leverage or products like that to actually as you say, enable digital transformation, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, and what we're seeing a lot is you talk a lot about the great resignation, the great relocation. We've been talking about the crew change since I was in the industry 20 plus years ago. And then with COVID, a lot of people got pushed out of the industry that probably aren't coming back. So I think when you talk about doing more with less, attracting, retaining, upskilling, cross-skilling, that's next generation of talent. I think digital is going to be a big driver of that. And that's what people are telling us is they can't do it via old way, manual paper-based processes, they have to leverage more modern tools like digital platforms, Salesforce or whatever it is to really help people do more with less because the old way of working is not going to work moving forward. So these companies would have, again, just for listeners or everything, these companies would have an SAP or an Oracle, they would have storage, work inventory, the whole suite of tools. But I think what you're saying, Jason, is then something that can actually integrate and make some knowledge out of the data and actually consolidate some of the, to give the right actions to the business, correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. We see a lot of that. We see a lot of things around knowledge portals. You know, how do you codify institutional knowledge? Can we provide knowledge portals, self-service FAQ type things to help an engineer who's doing something maybe in the North Sea? Can he get some information for someone that did that in the Gulf of Mexico around working a compressor or piece of equipment? So how can you use digital to help streamline that and flatten the organization to help people collaborate better, work better? So it doesn't have to be replacing a lot of those systems of record that you just mentioned. It can also be an engagement layer or kind of a wrapper around that to help them get more value out of systems they already have. It's always been an issue, isn't it, in the oil and gas industry. For me personally, I've been in and out for the last, what, 25, 30 years. I am old. Sorry, come on. I do look 25. No, I don't look 25. 125 maybe some days. My view is just teaching the people, like you said, the learning. We've got people walking out the door. The systems are not there to capture the data. And that's one thing that worries me. I think the other one is when you take maintenance was a place where I used to cut my teeth with BP around the globe, but trying to make sure that when something went down, was it their job to actually go to in the first place and fix? How do you get that first time fix correct? How do you get the right people? Have you got is Jason or Comal or Jason got the right sort of attributes to even touch it? How do you keep health and safety? There's a lot of things in there that we've always struggled with in it as an industry. And tools have tried, but I think it's more gluing the things together. And the analytics or the AI is probably spread all over to get the right answer. That's a huge issue, I think. Definitely. I think even more than on the maintenance side and the uptime side is also important. But I think another factor is also there's a lot of studies out there talking about this sense of urgency that I know my kids and the younger generation and things like that, they want immediate gratification, instant gratification. And I think that's going to eventually play into the expectations around customer experience and what do customers want. If you think about that field worker, when he's out there in the field inspecting something, something is wrong. The ability to leverage Salesforce plus Slack, for example, to automatically open service tickets and things like that, it puts that power of digital tools and digital platforms in somebody who's out in the field. Right, so it allows for upskilling and they can also leverage all these technologies, but there's AI wearables as well that can detect any leaks and things like that as well. So it really allows the industry also to kind of shift to a better, faster, safer response as well. Jason, how are you going to, I mean, once you deliver a tool from Salesforce, I mean, clearly you go to the IBMs, the Accenture's, Deloitte's, let's be brutally honest, there's a whole bunch of us there are doing it. But how much of it is done through yourselves versus a percentage through your SIs versus the client? What's your current view and your future view, Jason, of how this is going to shape? Yeah, I think our partnerships with SIs like IBM are immensely important, critically important. We love you guys. We love IBM. The partnership is great. I think we really rely on you to help operationalize some of the digital toolkits that we're providing and help our companies execute. And that's implementation, but also how do you keep it evergreen? Because if you learn anything about Salesforce, the other thing we're really known for is just constant innovation, which can be a bit of a double-edged sword. We're pushing innovation out three releases a year. It's in the cloud. So people are getting new capabilities to make their work easier and more efficient. But if they don't have kind of a good program to operationalize that, then it's just kind of sitting there not being used. And I think that's where the IBMs of the world can really help do that. Some of our customers will try to do it themselves, and there's a few that do it really well, but I would say 90% of them that try to do it themselves, they just don't do it well because they don't have the skill set, the background, just kind of the chops to do that. So that's kind of a bit of my observation is the IBMs of the world are mission critical to help get value out of 
something you've bought from Salesforce. And we will help sometimes do that. But I think that's not really the business we want to be in. We really want to be laser focused on innovating and building digital capabilities into our solutions. And we want others like IBM's who are much better change management, things like that, to help implement and help our customers get value out of the technology. So, Jason, you talked about three drops a year. How are you picking up that innovation? How do you make sure that it's something that the clients really, really want? Again, I'm just coming from a fresh view of this. How are you prioritizing that? Yeah, I mean, hats off to our product managers. They're awesome. So we have really smart people that are looking at future, you know, what's going on. We invest a lot in R&D. But then I think the other thing is really listening closely to our customers. And Kamal, we didn't run into each other at Dreamforce. I don't know if you were there. I hope you were. And I'm assuming you've probably been before, but we have these amazing conferences. I think there was, this year it was scaled down due to COVID and it was still about 40,000 people plus. So really listening to them, doing roadmap review sessions. We have a voting mechanism where actually people can go in and vote and they can upvote and downvote other people's ideas, which I think is awesome. So Jason, not saying you'd ever do this, but if you put an idea out there that wasn't really good, customers can go in there and say, that's a terrible idea. We never want you to do that. That's a waste of resources. They can download it. Or if Comal put an, up, an idea out there that was really awesome, they could upvote it. And our product managers look at that and say, like, hey, here's the trending ideas out there that we need to make sure we're embedding into our next release going forward. Yeah. And I think part of the beauty of, and I was at Dreamforce, I've been there many years, is also when you have companies like IBM, you get the innovation from across different industries, right? That also you can bring in. So for example, we can bring in auto insights and things like that and say, hey, how is another industry looking at this for any of the big companies as well? And you also have people like myself who have come from the client side, who have come from Shell and, you know, help spearhead some of those engagements and things like that. And, and I know you had a session you presented at Dreamforce as well. And a lot of that was from my time there as well. And so that's kind of, you know, the benefit you have a combination of the partnerships plus the customers that kind of really help drive that roadmap and innovation. Como Jason says, give me another idea. Friday morning team calls, trending ideas, thumbs up, thumbs down. We're going to bring that one up. I love that one. I'll just get a constant thumb down, Jason. That's the problem. <laughs> And we even have a digital solution to help people vote on it that we can give you access to. There we go. Love it. I did want to add one more comment to Kumasa because I think it's so important. I think what IBM brings and is a lot of IP and industry expertise where admittedly at Salesforce, we're stretched pretty thin. I mean, I've been in the industry my entire career. We've got pockets of that, but we are not the industry experts that IBM is. So when we go through and say, hey, here's how you could deploy our technology, we can kind of show you, but we really rely on your industry expertise to help take that and build into the application. I think that's a critical part of the whole recipe. Jason, being in the role that Comal and I are in, but in Salesforce versus IBM, what do you come up against being the oil and gas lead? How does Salesforce look at oil and gas? You know, is it more investment, dirty, laggard? I don't want to insult anyone here because I'm an oil and gas guy, but I would say typically we kind of view them as a little behind on the digital side, which is kind of interesting because I think on the hard science technology side, Oil and gas is definitely the leader when you think about drilling, completion technology, seismic, all that stuff. And it just frustrates me that they're willing to spend millions, if not billions of dollars in doing G&G, 4D seismic, all stuff. And then you still have someone going out to inspect a tank or something and they're using a paper-based manual process. It drives me crazy. Like, why don't you digitalize that? There's so much opportunity for improvement and you're doing so well on this other side. But for the kind of execution of work, I consider them and Salesforce kind of considers them a bit of a lagger. But I think that means there's just that much more opportunity out there to help people become more efficient. We'd love to partner with this industry. 
to help this industry kind of do better and do more with less. I would mirror that, by the way, Jason. You're not on your own. I think we look at it as laggards, but you're right. It's confusing because on the R&D side and the technology, they're so far and well in advance from the seismic, shaping, downhole stuff, the analytics, but actually then getting to the reality of it, it just feels they've not spent, and we spent so much time still on Excel. I don't know if you've been in upstream, et cetera, but still Excel is around that we should kill this and sort of, get the guys to really, or the teams to really sort of look at what technology can you do now? How can you work it? But it's an interesting one. You know, I can see a huge amount. It's going on to the next subject I want to talk about. You know, we know what's happened since COVID and sort of oil and gas. And people now have got a view of whether they think of us as a dirty industry or not, but then a view of we can't transform tomorrow, right? The shirt you're wearing just now, Como, you're probably 75%, 80% will be used from byproduct from petrochemicals. We're probably all still driving around in cars. I think the industry's got a bad press. I think it's up to us, I think, Jason and Como, to actually put some marketing out there and show the real positives of what we're going to do of enabling B2B and, and using tools like Salesforce, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something as a marketer, you know, in my not so distant past, I think that is something that the industry does not do a good job of doing is saying that this industry enables modern day life. You want to have everything you have. You want, you know, from the minute you wake up to the time you go to bed, you cannot do that without this industry. And I think it's done a bad job of kind of going on defense maybe and not saying, okay, yes, there are goods, there are bad, but let's work to kind of solve this, you know, and there has been so much money and like you said, put into R&D. And I'd be curious, you know, to hear both your thoughts, especially yours, Jason, from Salesforce on how does that aspect of potentially people being in these companies for 25, 30, 35 years, how does that contrast with innovation that's needed? And how does Salesforce look at that as well as saying, okay, we need to bring in outside fresh, you know, new mindsets and even COVID, I think opening it up to where if you want to work in oil and gas, you don't have to be in Houston. Or if you want to work in tech, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley. And are there opportunities there that this industry can take advantage of for the future? Yeah, that's great. I don't think our listeners could see me, but while you were talking about that, he was owning the message, <laughs> my head was violently agreeing, nodding back and forth. Like we need someone to take back the narrative and we shouldn't be hiding around what we do. We're as an industry enabling human progress and we're going to be the ones that are going to help with this energy transition. I think kind of infusing new ideas and kind of what I call the Silicon Valley culture, it could be a game changer. And I've seen companies do it well and others that don't where we got a, a Salesforce shop up in the Northeast and they, when this pandemic happened, they moved to a work from anywhere type situation and they have a big Salesforce in-house shop. And they're one of the few I've seen do it successfully and they opened it up and then their talent pool is just that much larger and culturally, it's a great company. They're really investing in their employees, providing interesting things from the work future. And so they've had little difficulty finding, attracting that talent. I have another customer in Dallas, big company, probably all heard of, but smaller private held. As soon as the pandemic was over, everyone back to the office. they hiring Salesforce talent. And what they said is they train these people up two or three years later, two or three years of experience later, and they leave. So they lost their entire team over the course of six weeks because... You know, they're rigid. They're making people go back to work. It's not as fun place to work as something else. They're probably going to get 30% salary working, you know, someplace else. So just a tell of two stories, depending on how you're attacking and supporting your IT culture. And I think this industry really needs to change if they want to realistically compete with the Salesforce, the Amazon, the Googles of the world. How do you think they can do that? I mean, there's this back to work, Jason, before the podcast, we were talking about me, you and Omo, there's quiet quitting going on. There's driving people back to the office. There's a view of, 
probably from the board that, hey, we've bought these offices, we want people in, I want to see them doing the work. I've heard people even counting keystrokes of people at home, which seems almost ridiculous, right? I mean, my goodness. What do we think the oil and gas industry is competing against, like you said, with the Amazons, the Googles, or even other industries? I mean, that's the other thing we really need to watch out because that's the problem we're going to have. We will not attract the right people, right? And then we'll find it really difficult to bring any digital in. Yeah, I know. I think it's all, all about the snacks. <laughs> it's the snacks. It's the snacks. You got to have good snacks. Sorry, come on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. That's fine. No, I was just going to say, I think a part of that also, part of that culture is there's been a lot of focus on DEI, right? So when you look at it from a perspective of forcing people into the offices, counting keystrokes and things like that, that comes from, and this might be controversial, that comes from a very dominant male-centric type of traditional industry, right? Where you're looking at it, the man is at the office and they have someone kind of supporting them. And if you look at you want well-rounded teams. Diversity of ideas come from diversity of people, and that's how innovation and things like that happen, right? So everybody, if you create a culture where everybody can bring their true selves to work and work how they want to work, I think you're going to get a lot more. And I will say this, having come from the industry, I feel like there's a little bit of double talk. There's words that are being said that we want to do this, but less action, not actually seeing a lot of action in this space. And so those are some things that are going to have to be tackled head on with some serious intent. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't necessarily see some certain things changing. I agree with that. And I don't know how much people follow up my company. There was a thing on 60 Minutes two or three years ago, maybe four years ago, where our CEO, Mark Benioff, did a pin of gender pay evaluation. And even the gender gap, the gender pay gap is real. I think everyone will acknowledge that. But he did an evaluation and used our own tools, analytics to kind of identify that. And great story internally, when he suggested that to the head of HR, she said, you know, if you're going to go down this path, you know, I support you, but whatever you find, we're going to remedy that. So don't start this if you don't intend to finish this. And we did intend to finish it. And they identified right away a big gap. And I think that year alone, there was a 5 million pay equity type thing. And that's something we evaluate every year as part of onboarding new acquisitions and really using technology to identify maybe biases that people don't know about, but the data will tell you that. And you can find that in the data and then remedying those situations. I would think as a woman who has probably suffered or seen some of those in your career would probably be very inspiring. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that see that and say, I want to work for a company like that. And that's part of attracting and retaining that next generation of talent. Kudos to you guys, Jason, for doing that. Seriously, I'm using Comal and others. I've come from industry. Clearly, I'm not from Houston originally. I'm from Scotland. You can tell my accent. But actually, using the diverse views and also a good mixture of Houston, of give back and getting in to try and live what we want to be and show the oil and gas industry. I think that's another way that we can do it, Jason Gomel, is actually turn up as ourselves and turn up and show this is what we want to do. Because I think as partners, all our all our clients in Houston and oil and gas are partners. I don't go after transactional work. I think if we turn up and we are the new way of working, that will also help the guys. Right, Gomel? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think also as leaders, this is also where we can step in now within our teams, both at IBM and even at Salesforce. You know, one philosophy that I always tell my teams is I don't think of it as work-life balance, it's life-work balance. So for me personally, I will say that my number one job is that I am a mother and I'm raising two children. IBM helps enable that and I will give my all to IBM. But, you know, as long as I think making sure that that is clear and for my teams, it is always never apologize for any family health, that comes first to work comes second. And I think if you have that culture and you live with that, then you're going to get people giving their all because you're allowing them to kind of exist and be present in both their lives without having 
to sacrifice. There's no such thing as balance, but there's balance at the right time for the right thing. Kind of learned that as well. I started, as you know, Cornwall in my family business. Yeah. And that's a tough one because everything, breakfast, lunch, dinner, going to bed, everything's work. And I think I take the right attributes of that. So even in IBM, where you've got 380,000 people, I try to keep the best bits of the family business and try and make it ours and see where we're going to go. But the bits I've learned from people like you, Comal, and others of, did you don't have to talk about work night and day? Because I did find the reason I left, to be honest, was it was becoming just like a, oh my goodness, it's just a loop. It was So there's some great things. I think that's the other thing we need to do is use each other's experiences and make sure we understand how do you feel? Well, how do you feel, Jason? And how do we really get the best sort of where we're going to go with it? Yeah, I think normalizing it, like you just talked about, is really important across all these relationships. So things like parental leave. So, you know, I was on a call with someone six months ago and talking about parental leave and social is a very generous parental leave. And I was the classic, well, my day I took off you know, <laughs> one afternoon and my wife had a baby. One Friday afternoon back Monday. <laughs> this gentleman was proud of that. Like, you know, that just that kind of old school mentality and and I was saying, well, we don't do it. Back in my day, we didn't do it. And I just, just, how can we remove that and normalize? Yeah, you should spend time with your family if you have a child. It's, it's a good thing that you can spend three months with your family to help through that a transition. It's a big transition. So I think there's still pockets of that old school mentality that I run into every now and again. No, definitely. I think that's definitely a thing like, oh, well, I had to rough it out and I should be proud of that. Like I had six weeks off my first daughter. And now, you know, general for a father, it's 12 weeks. That's amazing that they get that, right? But I don't want anybody to have to go through six weeks of that again, because that is not feasible to create a human being. And I think that's probably more than most. When I was at a conference last week and talking about the same thing, and I kind of did an informal poll, I was on a panel, how many people had more than a month off? And it was probably less than half the people. So I think that's a yeah. pretty generous policy compared to traditional oil and gas, which is a shame. I was coaching a girl that's in oil and gas and she had just become pregnant. And her view was immediately, this was last year, oh, well, I'm going to fall off the leadership ladder. They won't, I was like, I, sorry, stop. When was that? And I think it's gone back to the old Como. I think it's very easy to think like that and a way of, hold on, guys, if we let it fall to there, we will. We need to stand up for it and say, no, there is a, we have to go on with life. And I totally respect that. Yeah, I wish we could do a study or somebody could do a study on when a woman or a mother travels and then when a husband travels. And I love my husband. He's a great partner, completely involved in everything. But when I travel, there's a lot more prep that has to happen. It's constant check-ins, constant, you know, don't forget this, don't forget this, don't forget this. So that multitasking that we're doing while we are also showing up for clients and showing up for delivery and signing the deals, I think that is an undervalued skill that women don't get credit for, that we do all of this stuff, juggle it and juggle it really well versus, you know, kind of I'm other, other populations. My wife into this. She would tell you, I don't chuckle. There you go. That's my, uh, <laughs> and no, I take my hat off. I just don't. Yeah. Amazing. I think this stuff. Hey, just wrapping up, let's take a little bit of lighter note. Astros, my goodness, Jason, Saturday, how on earth do we top this? I mean, what happens next? It was amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I think we all talked earlier. There's a parade going on right now. We're all missing the parade to do this great podcast, which I'm happy to do so. <laughs> I think it's going to be bananas downtown right now. So actually, I'm an old guy, so I'm a little bit happy I don't have to brave the traffic. But man, what a game, what a series, what an exciting moment for our city. I think it is. I think it's fantastic. I don't know what happens next, Ocomo, 2023. Can we do it again or what's it? Yeah, I don't know either. 
Right now, there's a petition going around in our school district on why school wasn't canceled today. We're the only school still in session. So we'll see what happens next. Jason, you did the right thing from not going downtown because I've got some, I'm sure you have as well. I think Kumal and I had some colleagues that tried to drive into downtown for a so for some work today, some meetings, and it took them at least two hours to get anywhere near Smith Street. So I think three of us are the smart ones today. Of, you know, be at home and do the podcast. Yeah, well, right, I'm DVR. We'll watch it on TV later. <laughs> Absolutely. Good. Well, Jason, very nice to meet you. Let's get together with the Salesforce team. One of the things we are doing is with IBM is we are trying to do a back to work. But the reason why we're doing it once a month and we're trying to get people in the office, at least on a Friday afternoon, and do a sharing session, do face-to-face who we are, who we know. Get, we actually did a couple of podcasts. I'd be delighted to get you along to one of ours. That'd be great, Jason, if you want to come along. Again, this is our style of between Cole, myself, and the other leaders is how do we entice people back to show a little bit of face-to-face time, not demand three days a week, but actually get them in thinking about different things and going off. And that's been good. But yeah, I'd be welcome if you would like to come and join us and have a drink afterwards. Yeah, I would love to do so. That'd be great. I think building relationships in this industry are really important across customers, partners, et cetera. And I think Getting to know people at a personal level, face-to-face, grabbing meals is an important aspect of that. So I would love to do so. Excellent. Komal, any last words? Nope. Just thank you very much, Jason. Appreciate the time and continued partnership with IBM. Excellent. Jason, Komal, thank you very much. There's another episode in the bag. Listeners, if you want to leave us any comments, as we've always said, we started this on October the 1st. We're still new to this. So if you really want to give us some ideas, we will adapt adopt and improve the podcast as we go but if you want to be the next jason on the podcast please get a hold of us more than happy and if you want to talk to jason or want to know more about salesforce or our sponsor ericsson it'll be in the footnotes and talk to you guys next time thank you jason thank you como great thank you thank you join us again next week on the energy workforce of tomorrow podcast a production of the oil and gas global network to learn more go to oggn.com